Hey everyone, welcome to Emmanuel Fellowship's podcast. This is Pastor Trent, the founding pastor of Emmanuel Fellowship, a church in South Minneapolis that exists to serve our city and to live for God's glory. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. We pray that this message encourages you to follow Jesus and to see his presence and power everywhere in your life. So there's a line that stuck with me um, that I read sometime in the last couple of years as I've thought about my own health and um, particularly how sort of the body and the mind and the emotions and all of our being fit together. And it goes like this. The body is not a minor prophet. It's a major prophet. The body is a major prophet, not a minor prophet. Meaning that when your body is feeling something, it's saying something loudly. (laughs) And I say that because on Friday night, my body said something real loud as, as I got to the park walking with my kids and my ankle hurt so bad, I had to sit down on the bench with it hanging up in the air and hoping that they would not bike off away from me while I called for help from Laura to come and pick us up. My ankle was throbbing with like this excruciating pain. I've never had ankle injuries. So those of you who've had them before and you're like, suck it up, man. Like, I hear you, but like, this was bad for me. And um, I don't even know what happened. Like, I, I remember playing with my kids in the living room and, and then walking in the kitchen and kind of feeling like, man, my, my ankle feels a little funny. Like, maybe I tweaked something. And then having got to the park, we walked for about a mile. And the longer that I walked, the more that it hurt. And it all of a sudden just sort of like built up into this like dagger-like pain in my ankle. <laughs> And it was enough to send me to the urgent care later that evening. Um, But the body is a major prophet. (laughs) It has some things to say. And so if you're wondering what's going on in your life, or maybe perhaps what God is trying to get a hold of your attention on, sometimes it's good to consider what your body is saying. Now, I say that because sometimes when it comes to the body, we're really slow to listen. We feel something, or at least I feel something, and I just kind of push through, walk another mile. I'm slow to hear, slow to listen, slow to understand. Something's not right until all of a sudden the moment is clear, and I can't walk no more. I had to learn the hard way. Now, my ankle's going to be okay. I've got it wrapped right now, and, you know, I'm doing the whole rice, rest, elevation, you know, ice compression, all that stuff. Um, So I think at least in a couple days, I'm going to be back on my feet. But that experience reminds me that sometimes I'm a slow learner. I don't know about you. Sometimes I just can't get the point. And that's what's going on with the disciples here. They can't seem to understand. They don't get it but it's really important that they do because we're getting here to the center point of Mark's gospel. How many chapters? 16 chapters. We're at the eighth chapter right now, but even more so thematically, we are at the core of what Mark is trying to say and really what he believes Jesus' message and ministry was all about. And the disciples still don't get it. Now, of course, next Sunday, we're going to hit the turning point on Easter which of course makes sense because that is the turning point of all history. Easter Sunday where Jesus gets out of the grave is this incredible change in transformation of how really 
many cultures throughout history and around the world today understand life reality, it all hinges at that turning point at the empty tomb. But that's the end of the book. Right now we're at the, the middle of the book and a significant turning point for the disciples. Let me show it to you. To do so, what I want to do is break down these stories into four little pockets and then hopefully unveil what Jesus is saying in the end. So here we are. Here's our flow for today, right? We're going to look at the banter in the boat. We're going to look at the lesson of the loaves, the heart behind the healing, and then finally we have this unveiling coming at the mountaintop, or at least on the way there. Ready? Let's go. We're going to get back in and read for a little bit. This is verse 13 um, in chapter 8. And he left them and got into the boat again and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. And they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. Jesus, aware of this, says to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive and understand? They just don't get it. And the interesting thing is, this is not the first time they've been in the boat. This is not the first time that they've crossed the sea. In fact, they're puzzled and distraught in the boat again. Does that remind you of any other times in the book so far where they've been out of their mind, crazy, and stressing in the boat? Of course, when there's an incredible storm upon the sea. It's overwhelming the boat. The wind and the waves are coming. We sing songs about it. We remember this climactic this story where Jesus stands up then after falling asleep, and he says, peace be still. And the wind and waves are calm. But here there's not even a storm. There's literally nothing except the fact that they don't have enough food, which you've got to think a good Jew knows how to fast, right? I mean, why are they stressed out? Like, and you, like they're, they're seriously distraught, debating among themselves. And Jesus is like, seriously? Don't you get it? And he lumps them in with all of the other religious leaders who he's already charged that they will not understand. They will see but not understand. They will hear but not know. But Jesus knows that his disciples need to get it. And so he can't tell them the answers. One of the things we do at my house is we tell kind of like math problems. We love these like, you know, word problem stories with real stories. Sometimes we make them up and then ask my girls to try and solve them. And if you've ever done those, maybe you like that kind of math where, um, you know, it talks about how many miles you're, you, you know, you need to go or, or there's like a, how many things you're going to sell. You just make up stuff. And um, my oldest loves them. But the thing about that kind of math is you can't tell someone the answer. It doesn't work. Like, they've got to work their way through the problem, breaking it down into the steps in order to find the solution themselves. They have to see themselves. And perhaps you had a teacher at some point throughout your own education who was like, no, I'm not going to tell you the solution. You've got to work your way through the steps. And here we have Jesus as a teacher helping them work through the steps. And this is actually true of not just teachers, but the best leaders. The best leaders help others see for themselves. They don't just tell people what they need to see. They help people see with their own eyes. 
And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's helping these disciples see for themselves that there is a lesson in the loaves. Your banter in the boat means that there is something still for you to learn. Let's look at this lesson. If you go in Mark chapter 8, verse 1, we can read again this story about the bread. He says, in those days, the, the crowd gathered to him, them again. And Jesus again has compassion upon the crowd. This is funny because just a moment earlier, there was also a crowd and there was also a feast that Jesus was offering to them. Now here we have not just twice that they're in the boat and they're stressing out and stumped. Now we have twice that they're on the plains and Jesus is feeding them the second time. Let's read it. He has compassion upon them because they have been with him three days and they've had nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry, they'll go to their homes and faint along the way. So the disciples ask him, how can we feed all these people in this desolate place? And Jesus, of course, at this second feast, asked the same question in a different way than he asked beforehand. What do you have for food? Do you see it? Like Jesus again saying, hey, how are you going to solve the problem? Jesus is not just this miracle worker, like magically giving bread to thousands upon thousands of people. He's doing something here. He's involving the disciples. You give them something to eat. And it's this experience, the again being in that, that, that same spot where they have to go, what are we going to do? And Jesus says, well, you got to do something. I'm not here alone. Jesus, as this incredible leader, is saying to them, I'm here, but you're going to do the work. He, as the leader, is empowering them to feed thousands and thousands of people. Can you imagine having just like a few loaves of bread and Jesus is like, trust me, take it to them. Trust me, keep giving it away. Like the faith required in the habit of there's more bread in the basket. There's more bread in the basket. There's more bread in the basket. Like I can't even imagine what it would be like except I've experienced it in spiritual ways where it's like, what are we going to bring? I've got, my, I've got my crackers and my sardines. Like, how are we going to make a feast out of this? And Jesus says, there's more bread in the basket. Keep giving it to the people. He's providing for Jews. He's providing for Gentiles. And now 9,000 people, actually probably 9,000 men, thousands more women and children have been fed at his command, but at whose hands? The disciples. What a teaching moment. Jesus is teaching them through these experiences. Jesus is leading them, helping them gain this lesson that he can provide, but they must do. The lesson of the loaves. But there's also some teaching going on behind the healing. Let's look at that. Here we are in Mark chapter 8, verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, them, do you, asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see people. But they look like trees walking. They're fuzzy. And Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, 
and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. Here again, the second healing with how many stages? With two stages. Remember, there was the man who was mute and deaf. And Jesus does what when he approaches him? He puts his fingers in his ears and then he spits on his hand and then he touches his tongue, right? There's the ears and then the mouth. And here again, what does he do? He touches his eyes once and then it's fuzzy. Like if maybe if you need prescription glasses or contacts, it's like he he can see, but he can't see. And then all of a sudden Jesus touches him a second time and then he can see clearly. What's going on here? He just fed thousands of people. He just calmed the wind and the waves. He just sent demons out of that place. Why is Jesus unable? Like, has he got to sort of like do it twice? Like half the power, then the full power? Like what's going on? Is there some sort of like, you know, there's no incantation here. There's nothing here. He's just said the word or thought the thought and the stuff has happened in the past. What is he trying to do? trying to teach them. He's trying to lead them. Sometimes you and I are slow to see. We're slow to understand. Sometimes our own healing takes multiple stages. Sometimes the disciples need multiple experiences, even multi-steps in order for them to get there. It's almost as if the disciples are seeing things fuzzy just like this man. But they need another touch so that they can see things clearly. And I love it. Jesus here, not just as a teacher, is this incredible leader, the best leader that you could ever imagine. And you know what the good leaders do? The great leaders in your workplace or in our community, you know what they do? They identify with the people. They connect with them. Can you imagine what it would have been like? Jesus, he's not trying to make a spectacle out of either of these healings. He's actually pulling them aside. He's saying, I want to connect and identify with you and what you've been through. Can you imagine the, the, the placing of, of ears or fingers and ears or even the touching of tongue? Jesus is saying, I, I know what it's like. I'm trying to connect and identify with your experience. It's not just one, it's multiple things that you've experienced brokenness all your life long. I want to meet you there. In order to communicate what I'm doing, I'm going to touch. You can't speak, you can't hear, but touch is how you've communicated. And so I'll touch your ears, I'll touch your tongue. Imagine the man with sight, he couldn't see. Perhaps he's been blind his whole life. Perhaps that he's had issues seeing. He's been fuzzy and now completely blind. And Jesus touches him, almost entering that sort of phasing of healing with the man, identifying with him. Could you imagine? Maybe there's somebody going, he touches him and then mocking Jesus. Oh, I guess he can't do it again. And he touches him again and he's, he's, he can see clearly. Jesus identifying with them, but staying distinct from them and offering them healing, right? Jesus is the one who has all this affection and compassion for the people, yet he stays constantly ahead of them, 
leading them where they're supposed to go, where they need to go. He's comforting them, connecting, but then challenging them as we see because he knows that we, just like the people in this passage, are slow to understand. We don't get it the first time. And if we're honest, if they didn't get it, like what hope do we have of getting the gospel? Like if they're walking with him down the streets of Galilee and along the path towards these cities, seeing what's going on, what hope do we have to actually get it? Jesus is meeting us where we are. Look at this. And Jesus went on, verse 27, with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And along the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Jesus has been a patient leader with his own core followers, slow to understand. Jesus has been a persistent leader, continuing to teach them, not letting anybody, the crowds or his own disciples, derail his calling and his plan. Jesus has been an empowering leader. Even here, in the prime of his ministry, he's giving his ministry away to others to do. Jesus has been a connected leader somehow identifying, connecting with a wide variety of people from incredibly different backgrounds with a range of different issues and problems. Jesus has been a challenging leader ahead of his disciples, knowing exactly where they need to go and how to get them there. He's ahead of his followers, and he's in step with his father. But they don't get it until now. They're clueless. Until now, it raises the question, what hope do we have to get it? Can't you see? Jesus himself is our hope. Jesus himself is our hope, and here's why. Because what we have in Jesus is not just a good teacher, but the divine leader that we need. What we have in Jesus is not just a good teacher, although his teaching is miraculous. It's incredible. We have the divine leader that we need. And listen, fam, sometimes in life, it doesn't work for you to be told. Some places that you need to go, it'll only work if you're led. Otherwise, you won't get there. So Jesus takes his crew on a hike. Did you catch that? Early on in my study of this book, I took a highlighter and I highlighted all of the locations. Simple Bible study tip. The locations, especially in Mark's gospel, they matter. They're all yellow in my book. I got all sorts of other colors working on here too. Um, but they all indicate there's a movement that's happened. There's something that's gone on. And when you read this and go, okay, they're there. And then they go to Caesarea Philippi. Wait, that's not like next door. That's, a, that's like a 10, that's like a 10 hour hike. That's like a multi-day trek. Jesus is taking them somewhere out of the blue. They've been doing ministry around this area and Jesus is like, hey, we're going on a hike up the hill towards the mountain. Why? 
If they were to get to Caesarea Philippi, then Mount Hermon, which is the highest point in the area, which I believe is where he's going to land here in a few verses. But then on Mount Hermon, you could see, or even from the foot of the hill there, you could see the entire Jordan Valley. It's like you're in the north looking down over the entirety of the area Jesus has done ministry, all of the work that he's done. And from that vantage point, in full view of everything and all of the places that he has been and worked ministry and taught about the kingdom, Jesus turns, I believe, around and asks them, who do you say that I am? That is the question. Who are they following? They don't even know yet. But now they do. Jesus is the Christ. He is the long-awaited, the anointed king of Israel. And he has led them toward the mountain. We'll see in a minute how he's going up to the mountain of glory where his full identity is revealed. He's led them to the presence in the heart of Roman government. This city where he was with the disciples, is the palace place of Herod and also the place of the new temple where Rome's Caesar was worshipped. Jesus is taking them right up into the heart of political and spiritual influence and said, I am the Christ. You want to know what kind of leader I am? I'm the leader. I'm not just another king, but I am the king of kings to end all kings, the one who makes all others just like little puppets and underlings. I am the Christ. Listen to N.T. Wright. He says, if this kingdom mission, remember Jesus has been talking about the kingdom, is explicitly becoming a Messiah mission, then this is really dangerous. Hence the secrecy. Jesus is not just announcing the kingdom He thinks he is the king. And because Jesus is the king of kings, listen up, fam, we'll only learn by following the leader. There are some things in life, some things in spirituality that you will not learn just by being told. You will not learn just by being taught. You will not learn by by, by reading something. You have to learn by being led And the Lord Jesus will take you to new places that you could not go on your own. Fundamental to what it means to be a Christian is to be a follower of the leader. And Jesus here is leading them into new ground to wrestle with a new reality that he is the king of kings. And whatever you're struggling with in life, I wonder if you've committed to learn by following the leader. Whatever you're wrestling with about Christianity, have you said, I'll learn by following the leader? Have you said, I've come to this mountain and I believe, Jesus, you are who you say you are. You are my king, my leader, and I'll follow you. That's what Jesus is inviting these disciples to do. And they'll be shocked at where he's leading them. But they will follow and they will learn along the way slowly but surely, to grasp clearly all of who Jesus is. Let me close this way. I think some of the most dramatic shifts in your life, and I think in mine, require that you receive God not just merely as a teacher, not merely as a comforter, 
not merely as a miracle worker, not as a helper, but when you embrace Lord Jesus as a king, as your leader. There's some things in life you'll never learn until you do because you won't let them lead you forward into places you aren't willing to go. So the question the risen King Jesus asks you today, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am?